Hi, Raphael Bender here, founder of Breathe Education, and you're listening to the Pilates Elephants podcast with me and my co-host, Chloe Bunter. There are many things that are awesome about the Pilates industry. However, many of the practices we take for granted are out of date or just plain pseudoscientific. These are the elephants in the room in Pilates, and we're here to talk about them openly and honestly, and with a fair few F-bombs thrown in. This show is about debunking the myths and giving you science-based tools to become a better, happier, and more fearless teacher. If you've been enjoying the show and you want to give back, give us a five-star rating and write us a glowing review on Apple Podcast app. That'll help other instructors find the show and let us know we're making a difference. Okay, I'm here with Nathan Ross-Reese. Nathan, just to give uh, the folks at home some sense of who you are and what you do and why we're having a chat, do you want to give us the whatever version of your story you'd like to share, who you are, what you do, and yeah, I guess who you are and what you do. Uh, the conversation, mate, and um, it's been an epic journey. And coming to Melbourne in particular and getting to know you more and getting to know your content a lot more, I think it's been a really big help for my professional development. So I just want to put that out there to start with. So thank you. Um, um, I, I have in the last, since 2018, uh, about September, I first came across Reform Pilates um, when Cakes Pilates came down to Hobart and Tasmania. And that was, uh, I suppose, the turning point for me because I found something that I really found a, a big passion in that I could see potential for professional development and I saw the impact the workout had. I really loved how the workout affects the body and and how you can use the workout to help people improve. So I was kind of hooked purely based on the results people would get. And then when I realised how big the network was, big the network was how many instructors there are, and the different levels of ability. I was like, oh, wow. So this is something I could grow into. Um, and so I've pretty much been on a mission since that point to discover everything I can about Reform Pilates um, and how to be more effective with it. I've been seeking out the best instructors I could find all through Australia. Um, in every state where KX Pilates exists currently, which is everywhere except for the Northern Territory I've been, purely based to jump into classes, experience it, to feel it, and then to really get to the how and the why, ask them directly, like, why did you do it like that? What was the reason? Um, And then kind of take all the information and distill it and then start to practice it and use it. And the main aim really is just to deepen my own understanding of how and why we do it. And I found that the benefit of going deeper is just like, the level of enjoyment you have when you instruct is just a completely different level. If I was going to compare it to like driving a car, like driving like a standard car versus like a supercar, it's just when you're instructing and you've got a lot more tools and a lot more confidence, it's it's a different feeling. So the deeper I've got into it, the more fun it's become. So, yeah, it's just we're still on the journey now, you know, um, but I'm very, very excited to see how it's developing. And, yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you today. So, Let's do it. Yeah. Hey, um, so you must, I mean, do you, do you have any idea of how many classes you attended in your national tour? Because you literally travelled around Australia, uh, which is a really freaking big continent. And it's, it, 
it's about as big as as the continental US, um, but we've got one tenth of the population. But you, so you were travelling right around Australia, east, west, north, and south. Do you have any idea how many classes you ordered? Uh, well, I went to about fifty studios, um, and how I do it is I turn up. So I teach all my classes during the week, Monday to Friday, and then I jump on a plane on a Friday night um, and I turn up somewhere, like turn up in Melbourne, Adelaide, Brisbane, wherever, um, and I jump into as many classes as I could throughout the day. The most I ever did in one day was five, and that was pretty messed up. That was back with James Tenary in, um, in Adelaide, so obviously the classes are hard. I did like three advanced classes and two intermediates, and by the time I left that place, like I couldn't push my arm straight because it would just cramp and lock my arm out. <laughs> like we're talking like SAS level, like elite Pilates, just absolute destruction. So like I felt like I put myself through an absolute ringer, um, but I loved every second of it because I was getting stronger in the process. But it's just the the total the total experience because you can. I think it's like when you first start teaching. It's like when you first start driving, especially if it's like a manual. You know, in the car and you're like, what do I focus on? Like, there's so much information. I can't, you know, do I look out the window? Do I, where's the stick? You know, where do I slow down? It's like, there's too much. It's like you're overloading. And then the more you do it, you get all this free time. It's like all of a sudden after six months, 12 months, now, you know, you're kind of, you're eating something and you're thinking about what you did yesterday and you, like, the amount of attention required to perform the task itself reduces and it frees up all this extra space. So the main benefit of going to lots of classes was I could actually start to focus on how they're instructing, like what layers they use, what was the order of exercises, and then the more time you spend in the studios, the more you can pick out the smaller details, like the finesse, like the the intention. So probably total. So I'd go away for a weekend and do like at least eight classes in two days, usually wherever I went. Um, so I'd, I'd link up with the owner of the studios and say, Hey, I'm coming over. And most of them would have never heard of me before. And they're like, Oh, Hey, and I say, I'm a trainer from Tassie. Like, Oh, cool. And I'll, can I jump in some classes here? Definitely. Oh, thanks. So I just turn up, do some classes. And after doing that for a couple of months, um, I started to build up my confidence a lot more. And I said, well, since I'm here, how about we like teach together? Um, and that turned out to be probably the best decision because when you actually instruct a class with someone else, then you can get to practice exactly how how to do it with them, and they can give you feedback. So, so then I went from participating in classes to turning up and also teaching, and I think the main message I want to get through today with all this is that actually trying to put yourself in stress intentionally will help you learn faster and grow faster. So I remember when I first started, when I first was teaching the classes with the, with the clients, I was my stress level was very high. So nervous, um, you forget things, um, you know, and you're worried, oh, no, did they like it or not? Um, but when you go and teach the state, and it's like that all over again, it's like, oh, no, I thought, I was, you know, I thought my confidence was good, but now this is harder again. But then when you come back to teaching in your home studio, it's like you've got a different level of confidence now. It's like you walk into the and you feel like you kind of you own that space with confidence and, and you just do it again and again and again. And eventually 
yet that version of yourself just turns up everywhere. It's like it doesn't matter where you go. You can go to any state, teach any clients anywhere, and you just feel really good. To answer your question, I think it was probably, what's the maths? I don't know. I've probably done about 17 trips and then jumped in at least eight to ten classes everywhere I went. So a lot. What You've perfectly described the progression towards highly skilled teaching. That's like the 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 increase in automaticity. So what you you know you talked about the the reduced requirement to to focus on what you're doing. Like basically a lot of it happens automatically. So then you can focus on other things like the layering or you know um, programming etc. Um, and also that process of res, you know having of of doing the activity and then receiving feedback essentially in real time or very soon afterwards. Um, and then just putting in the reps, you you know, put in lots and lots of reps and, and I love your description of becoming more skilled. Um, so what, what I really want to unpack there is something you said that you, you learned what's important to pay attention to. So what I want to ask you is, well, what do you see as being the important things to pay attention to? And, and how's that different from from what you initially thought, you know, as a new instructor that, you know, that you, it was important to pay attention to? So when you're a new instructor, um, all of your attention and focus is taken up with the, the functionality of the task. It's the, the operation, the, you know, the queuing, the remembering the order of the movements. So all those things, they take up a lot of space and time in your mind and they take you out of the present moment. So your awareness of, who's in the room, what's happening is much lower. And eventually when your confidence builds, all of a sudden you start to see the same room and the same people with different level of clarity. It's like almost going from like wearing a glasses that are blurry to being able to see things really clearly. And that's, I think, the most exciting part is being able to be fully present in the moment. And then the key to con- consistently improving over time is just being aware of the feedback loop that happens between you and the clients. So every single time you give them information in any form, it's really important to see what the result of that information was. Did they start moving the way you wanted them to? Um, did it have the, was your intention actualized in the result? And that to me, that is the absolute key. That is the, to everything. And as long as you're getting better at that, then you're going to be guaranteed to be getting better as an instructor because that means that the words you're using are effective. So, so what I value most is results and being effective. And I'm not too worried about the process, as in I'm not too attached to the process that I have because I'm always trying to find a better one. I'm always trying to find a better way of cueing the same movement, a better way of connecting with people, a better way to make the class flow, like, if I'm the same as I was last week, then I haven't learned anything. So use the feedback loop, you know, watch how you say things and if it worked the way you wanted it to. And that's the key, I think. That's my favorite part. So you, you've almost gone from a, like when you're, when you're a beginner and you're focused on the kind of technical aspects, the queuing, et cetera, you really, it's kind of like you're really kind of in your own head to a large extent. And where, where as that has become more automatic for you, you have been able to focus externally, focus on, on the clients and, and the results of your cues and on, you know, their expression, their body language, 
you know, their their response to your words and, and gestures. 100%. And you kind of tuned in to that space. So you're, you've got your finger on the pulse. Um, you know where everyone's at. You can see the level of effort they're putting in. Uh, you can see if someone's working out really hard or if they're coasting. You can see if someone needs a, an adjustment to their body positioning. And then then you can make educated decisions. Um, so it's just like opening yourself up to the information that's in front of you because at the start you just you don't have the eyes to see it. It's just um, everything kind of looks the same. But eventually um, when you have more confidence in the process of teaching and it doesn't take as much of your bandwidth, I think of it like bandwidth like the internet. Like if you've got lots of people maybe on the Wi-Fi, it's pretty hard to you know get anything done. But eventually, if you um, can clear some of the stuff out and just have that single focus of the room, it takes the experience much more to a personal level because then all of a sudden you really have time in the room to connect with everyone. You can just see things. You can make decisions. um, You can have conversations. And, like, I make all of my decisions based on what I see. So... I will change the class plan if that's what needs to happen. You know, I will discontinue with some conversation or change the focus if I think there could be more benefit to it. So sometimes I might actually spend a lot more time in one exercise than I thought I would because they need that. You know, they haven't learned the movement pattern yet. I want them to get it. Um, and sometimes I might make an exercise easier than what it even is standardly. Like you might take an exercise, even like a lunge. You might break a lunge down into like maybe just a hip hinge and then you stand up without the carriage moving at all because you want them to know how it feels to move their torso forward with the body weight. And so they see that's already a challenge. And then you educate them that our spring selection today, the blue is heavier than the yellow. So if the yellow is the harder spring, obviously pushing isn't the challenge. And you can already feel your glute working as you lean forward. So the challenge is gravity here. So what we want to do is keep your body weight forward and then add the carriage in later. So you kind of just make decisions based on whatever everyone needs. And I, I would get a lot of fulfillment out of that. I kind of feel like my classes are tailored to who's in the room. And that also goes the other way. You know, if you've got a whole bunch of people in there that are really strong, you're like, wow, okay. We've got some extra levels we can include today and it becomes really exciting then to push people um, and see them love it. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So you're paying, you know, you're, you're in the moment, you're present with your clients, you're paying attention to them. And so just for context here, we're teaching, you're teaching a class of like 10 to 15 people on reformers, right? So that's kind of... The average That's thing. right. Yep. Yep. Um, and so you said you talked about paying attention, you know, like connecting with each client. And I've got a feeling that a lot of our listeners who are outside of Australia um, will you know, possibly uh, be surprised that you that you can think that you know you can pay attention and enga- engage with each client in a class that quote large, unquote. Uh, because, you know, in the US and the UK, the norm is, you know, more like five reformers or five or, five or six reformers in a room. So, you know, so so tell me about like, how do you teach such a quote large group of people and still provide, in, you know, individual attention? Um, so going through 
uh, the order of things that you want to happen logically. So if you've got the next exercise coming up, then you've got, guys, this is our next exercise. Um, and then the next step is these are the springs you can choose from. And then the next step is you'll need these props. And then we're going to set the body position. And then we're going to move. And we try and transition people from that first instruction to the movement as quick as you can. Like if you can minimize that, that's the ultimate. Um, and that's where effective language works because if you use easy to understand language, that's like minimal, not a lot of words. Um, the second you get them moving, then you can start to adjust people and you can start to play with it. But that's why you always want to make the first movement very, very easy. So it doesn't take a lot of effort to get it. You know, tap into their prior learning. Most people have done squats before. Most people have um, done chest press before. You know, simple, big movements. They can start almost every movement off either a lunge, a squat, a push or a pull, and everyone understands that. So you get the movement going, and then you just watch everyone for a little while. And then you can see how they're doing it, and then you can start to select what information they need. So I don't think the best thing to do would be to give them all the cues straight up because they're flat out trying to figure out what they're doing already. <laughs> you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. you want to just get them going and then say, all right, guys, so this is the movement and might explain it again and educate them as they're doing it. So this one's called a lunge and this is what we're trying to achieve. These are the muscle groups you're going to feel. Can you feel that? And you might be interactive and get them to respond. And so it gives them certainty then because you're saying this is what we're doing. This is what the purpose is. This is where you're going to feel it. So all of a sudden they've already been doing it for like a minute and then you can start to add in another layer um, and you can be intentional with the layer, you know. You might choose a layer that's going to target the muscle group that you're aiming at more. So like if it's a lunge, if you spend more time at the bottom, you know, if you look at that work-to-rest ratio, if you lunge and stand up and then lunge down, about a 50-50 because every time you stand up and lock your leg out, you're kind of resting your target muscle group. And every time you lean forward, you're working it. So you might change the work-to-rest ratio by adding in a layer at the bottom. Um, and then the key, I think, to making sure that everyone is on board is just being aware of how everyone's moving. And um, then if there's any major things that need to be fixed, um, and I say fixed in the sense that I personally believe there's no such thing as wrong or right, and I tell people that. I don't think there's there's no such there's no judgment. There's no good or bad. There's no wrong or right. It's just is this effective for you? And I base my decisions on that. So if I make an adjustment to someone's body position, it's because I think if we make a small adjustment, they could feel it more in that target muscle group. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'll go. All right, cut. So we need we're going to maybe be doing a light lunge, and a lot of people are kind of sliding their body back with the carriage, like mm -hmm. they're pushing it back. And you'd be like, all right, guys. So let's keep the weight on the front foot. And I want you to tip your torso forward. And then you basically just make adjustments based on what you see. But So I'd say the key to doing it for more people is start them off with the most simple cues, get them moving as quick as you can, and then use that energy. You know what I mean? When you've got a lot of people in the room, it's like going 
just like, you know, with COVID, when you're watching footy games and no one in the stands, it's not the same. When you've got mm-hmm. a lot of people in a space, it's the energy is there and you can really enhance the, the energy of the room by how you speak. You know, you can build people up with like high energetic conversation, with the cues, with encouragement. And then you can also bring it back down when you want them to understand something clearly. So like I might turn the music up and and put in more energy when when I want them to move faster or when I want them to work harder. But when I want them to do something with accuracy and with um and with uh, maybe if it's a safety thing, like if they're stepping up onto the machine and they're not used to how to do that, or if it's slightly technical, anything that requires more processing. I'll turn the music down and I'll speak more slowly in a conversational way so it's easy to understand. So you, like, you adjust how you speak as well um, and that, that this is what I found that to be more effective because people will take cues off how you speak. So if you speak with a high intensity and a high energy but you want them to perform a, mu- a move slowly, it doesn't compute. Even though the words say slowly, if you're like, I want you to go slowly, guys, like – they take the energy from your voice as being the cue and they will move with that intensity. So yeah, it's being really intentional with the, the volume um, and matching everything. So everything's aligned, you know? Um, yeah. But I, I love having 12, 15 or 12, 14 people in a room, you know, the amount of energy that people can bring to that space when they work out, it's just, it's different. You can't get that with five people. You can't get it with one person. It's not the same, you know. And when you get the whole room moving well and you've got everyone's connected, everyone knows each other and you've got that community feeling, it's just the best. Like, honestly, I absolutely love it so much. I love what you said there about um, it's called the Stroop effect where basically you, if you want someone to do something slowly and carefully, but you tell them, come on, do it slowly and carefully, and you say it really loud and fast. Um it, it takes more processing. It doesn't compute. And, and there's actually research on that. Like when you, when you give someone the word blue, but it's written in red ink, it's really hard for people to process what the, you know, what the word is. Um, <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, so, um, that makes a lot of sense to me that you adjust your tone and the pace of your speech and the level of the music and, and, uh, you know, the volume of your voice to depending on what you're trying to elicit from the group. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I'd, I'd like to understand, you know, like you, you talked about the importance of meaning, like basically educating them on the purpose of the movement. Um, yep. And, you know, so the target muscle groups or, you know, the benefits to them, you know, in their broader life, um, mm-hmm. presumably. Um, so, so, you know, so that's what your, a lot of your conversation, a lot of your cueing is about. Like when you're in, in, when you're teaching a class, how much, how much are you talking, how much of your, how, how much of what you say is technical instruction and how much of what you say is kind of motivational or educational? I'd say it's probably 20% technical. Um, it's, um, Motivational is probably motivational and educational. I'd probably put it as the we'd split them for the rest. Um, maybe actually educational a bit more. Maybe it'd be like 
60% educational, 20% motivational, and um, 20% instructions. So you, the benefit, this is, I'd say this is different depending on the level of ability in the class, obviously. Um, so if it's a beginner class, I'd definitely set it like that because there's, a, there's more that they don't understand. So they need more, um, more background, more context. And that is really helpful to them because they, otherwise it's just a movement and it doesn't really mean anything. But what you want to do is you want to find out that the purpose of us being here today is to get stronger. That's why we're here. We want to improve your fitness. There's a whole bunch of different movements we can do today that are going to give you some benefits. Like we're going to move your spine, like flexion, extension, rotation, lateral flexion. We're going to strengthen your spine from all different ways, from different directions. We're going to work on the major muscle groups. Um, we're going to basically give you a general fitness workout. And I really believe in general fitness um, because the more balanced the body is, the more benefits you're going to see in everything you do. And it's not just um, people that are new to fitness that will benefit from that. It's also athletes, you know, whatever movements you do consistently, your body's adapting to that. So if you spend a lot of time doing one movement like running, there's going to be areas in your body which are really developed and others that are not so developed. And the key to preventing injuries, I believe, is having a more balanced body. So there's always going to be like a, a positive spin-off, a payoff from putting in more work to balance you out. So coming back to that, let's say you're doing an exercise. The main thing I want people to think about when they're doing the movement is why they're doing it. I don't want them to focus just on the effort re required. You know, you have people, if you start with why, like then you can start to access a lot more energy from someone. You know, they're going to invest a more effort because they know what they're doing and why they're doing it. And it's in those moments where it becomes challenging, like when you start to push yourself outside your comfort zone physically, understanding why you're doing it is everything. It's absolutely everything. And all you want to do is give people really strong reasons to trust you that it's worth pushing themselves past their current limit. Um, so I remember this morning I was teaching a heavy lunge, like heavy springs, so bend the front leg, lean forward, push the carriage out. I say this movement pattern it's similar to doing a step up. So, you know, the next time you walk upstairs or walk up a mountain, you're going to feel the difference here. When your legs are stronger, it makes you feel lighter, you know. It's almost like putting an extra gear in your car. You're going to have more, you know, more physical capabilities now, you're more attributes. Because I kind of think of fitness as in the same way I look at video games when they've got athletes. You know how they've got all those statistics like speed, strength, endurance, balance, coordination, awareness. They're all listed out of like 10 or out of 100. Uh -huh. So I like to think of when I've got clients in the room, this exercise here is going to build your endurance. We're going to maximize that. You know, we're going to level that up. We're going to, this exercise here is going to challenge your coordination. This one's going to challenge um, your cardiovascular system, you know, and then you just like, you're kind of picking the attribute that's going to help them with and you tell them how that's going to help them. And you should see that you just can never write anyone off. You know, I never judge anyone based on their appearance. I only judge judge people in the sense of assess them based on the effort they're putting in. And if you give someone a reason, they will put in effort. You know, they will they will turn up, and they feel like um, they feel like because they know why they're doing it. They just ah, 
it's a different feeling. It's like you could do the exact same, like you could have an experience in life, Raph, um, but you are the only one that can attribute meaning to that. Mm. You know, it could be the start of your journey and it's a story that defines you as your like your identity and you, you take that learning and you become something great from that. Or it could be like the thing that ruined your life and you hold on to it forever. Like you always have the power to make anything right. mean anything you, you want. You get to make your own meaning. Yeah. So what I'm trying to do is give them a really strong, positive meaning attached to this hard movement that feels hard, you know. Um, and you need a stronger meaning for exercises that are harder. That's what I've found. So if something is going to put them on their wrists and their wrists get sore or something's going to hold them in positions where they're fatiguing more, they need a, a stronger reason why to do that. Um, and then if you can let them know, like you're like preempting the negative association, if you go, if just say you're doing like a plank on their wrist and you know after about 30, 40 seconds, they're going to start to stop and shake their wrist. Yeah, guys. All right, guys. So this position, you're loading up through your wrist. And that's awesome because your body's anti-fragile. So your body strengthens under stress. So here, if you feel the compression tension on your wrist, I want you to know that's great. That's how you strengthen your wrist. And they just keep going. You know what I mean? Like it's exactly the same feeling. So it doesn't hurt any less or more but it has a reason now. So they're like, I'm doing this and I know why, you know, if so it puts them in control and it's just really, I think it's really empowering for people because you give them all the information they need um, to work out really effectively. And you're also letting them know that it doesn't matter what the current ability level is. You know, the reason why we're here is we're all trying to get better. And so in that sense, it's also very empowering because um, I reward people based on their effort. I always praise someone for taking on a progression or a heavier or lighter spring or doing something that's a little bit harder. I always praise them every single time because I want them to know that I appreciate the effort. Like that's why they're here. That's why I'm here. You know, it's just, it's so fulfilling because when you, people do that consistently, then you start to see the results come through, you know, and they start to feel better and they start to move easier and, Ah, it's just great. It's great to see people accessing like more levels of their own ability because it, it affects everything. Like I believe that health is the cornerstone of your life. It underpins everything you do. Like if you've got great health, everything you do in life is better. Your performance improves everywhere. So it's such a valuable use of your time to spend like out of the 1,440 minutes a day to spend at least 60 minutes of those on yourself. It's just the best investment. 100%. All right, so you are so for a this you talked about particularly for beginners. You said, uh, you know, you you basically get them set up. You know, like all right, so we're going to do here's the name of the exercise, um, here's the number of springs you need, uh, or the options for springs. Here's the props you need, if any. Here's the body position where you start in. Okay, go, um, yeah. and then. And, and, but you start them off with a super easy version that you're really confident that everyone in the room is going to, you know, do, you know, more or less correctly. Um, yep. So you start with a super simple, super easy, low load, you know, movement. And then once they're moving, then you you start talking about why. Okay, so this movement is really important for you because it focuses on this particular muscle and it's going to benefit you in this particular way. And, you know, your life's going to be better in these five ways because of doing this exercise. Um and then, so, all right, so that might take, like, I don't know, a minute maybe. And then, so then at that point, they, they, they get the why. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, and so maybe then you give them a, a slightly harder layer. So, yeah. okay, if, we, if we're lunging, we're going to, you know, hinge forwards a little bit deeper or we're going to stop at the bottom of the lunge for a second or, you know, something but something to basically increase the load or increase the, the work-rest ratio. Yep. And, then, and, then, and then you just basically keep going with that, give them a bit more information about why this is really beneficial. <laughs> uh, and the harder yep. it is, the, the stronger of a why they need. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then, you know, you just you add in, you know, one or more layers until mm-hmm. when? Like how do you know when, when that's enough? All right, so um, I want them to be outside their comfort zone, and you can physically tell when someone is pushing themselves close to their limit. Like they start to, a lot of the time, demonstrate that. Um, Everyone's a little bit different. Some people are very uh, clear with their facial expressions, like, you know, like the squinting, uh, sweating, and they might even be making noises. in minor protests, which is always fun. Um, and then other people internalize it. They kind of go deeper into themselves. And they show less emotion. So it's harder to tell where they're at. But you can pretty much tell with the ease of movement they have yep. um, where they're working. And you can, if you're going to rate it out of 10, you'd want them to be sitting around like a seven or an eight for an extended period of time. Like if I was going to do, relate it to like cooking or like those kind of um, analogies, like you want to let it marinate a little bit. Like you don't, you know, put it in the marinade and take it out after 10 minutes. You know, you leave it overnight, you know, get them in a position and let them like experience it for a longer period of time. Um, and don't be afraid to make people work hard. And I think the, the best part of all of this is they are selecting the level of intensity based on which layer they're using. So if they're not taking the progression, it's not as hard. So, if they don't want to work that hard, they can always drop back to the easier option. So, um, so how do you how do you give them the options? How do you present the layer options? Like, how do you what decision rules do you give them? Like, you know, if a you know if you're experiencing A, B, and C, do this layer. If you're experiencing X, Y, and Z, do the the other layer. So when you start off with the the easiest option, and then you say this is our focus, this is what we're trying to achieve, so you know where they're feeling it. Um, and then you go, this next option I'm going to give you will make it harder for our target muscle group. They're making a decision in that moment whether they want to do that or not. Um, and they, they know roughly they're going to be there for a little while. So they're kind of in control of how hard they want to work. Because I know that every single person in this room could do this, the, the, the basic level of this movement for two to three minutes. Everyone can. Like It's, very, like, it's so achievable that... No, there's not one person in the room that couldn't do that. Like they're still going to feel it and there's still going to be discomfort and it's still going to be intensity, but it's not impossible and it's not like complete failure. You know, you're kind of just pushing them probably to like 60 or probably like 80%, 90%, close to close to their, like the rate they'd give up, but not that far. It's oh. weird to verbalize it actually because I've never tried to verbalize it before. You're going to see when someone's about to – about the, if you're going to put it on a scale of like 10 being complete failure, like standing exercise, like a lunge and collapsing or one, like absolutely no effort at all. Like you want to be sitting around like a 70, like a seven or an eight. Like uh-huh. it needs to be above casual. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like there has to be some kind of sweat. There has to be some kind of effort that 
is above your day-to-day routine. Otherwise, it's not a workout at all. Otherwise, um, you won't adapt. Yeah. So like that. To. That's right. So you, all you're doing is providing them a, uh, providing their body an environment in which to facilitate development. So you just go like you give them that mechanical tension at a level. It has to hit that stimulating threshold. Like it has to be there for long enough that they actually start to feel something. And that's one thing I love about your podcast. So it goes into depth. And that episode you did where you're talking about um, is getting DOMS, delayed onset of muscle soreness, the same thing as getting stronger? You know, are they the same thing? Can you have one without the other? You know, and you talked about working your muscle to the full range of movement is an effective way to get DOMS and also mechanical tension being one. Yeah. And so stuff like that, literally, I'll listen to your podcast and hear that and be like, you know what, my clients would like to know that. And then it also affects the way I teach my class. Because I'm like, if working a muscle through a bigger range of movement is going to help them achieve more like uh, fatigue, then I'm going to encourage that. Yeah. You know? Um, and it's going and, to improve their flexibility as well. Yeah. Because it's like a dynamic stretch at one end, and then it's like that big contraction in, in the other. So yeah. it's, it's so cool. It's so cool to take those different elements and put them into the classes and I think that like having a purpose for everything you do gets results, you know, and coming back to that thing of having a feedback loop, people will tell you if they like it or not, but usually at the end, that's when you know, because what someone wants is they want someone who can get more performance out of them. Like they want someone who can, um, give them a more effective workout than they can do by themselves. So that's, I think, where the magic is. If you can tell where they're at, you know they've got more in the tank and you can just get a little bit more out of them and they know they can do it by themselves. Like that is like ultimately fulfilling your role of being there. Like a lot of the feedback that I get from clients is, oh my God, I love that class so much. And it wasn't necessarily because we did some amazing moves. It's because they worked harder than they ever had before and it felt good. I think that, like, that's that's really quite profound, and I think that really is something that a lot of people fail to grasp uh, early in, in their teaching career. Uh, you know, where and I was guilty of this, thinking that as a teacher, my job is to you know give a lot of technically correct instructions. Actually, that's not what people need by and large. What they need is motivation to go, to take themselves beyond what they would do. By themselves because anyone can I mean we can all just drop onto the landroom floor and do some sit-ups but the thing is it's really easy to stop as soon as it starts to become a little bit uncomfortable you know yep. and 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 when when you're in class and there's a, someone who's skilled at motivation they get more out of you you know than you would get out of yourself and I think that's that's the that's the fundamental truth that uh, we all need to embrace if we're going to become better teachers I, I love that and I, I feel that that's what the clients want, you know. They want someone who understands them and they want someone who understands them physically and psychologically in the sense that I can see how you're moving and give you the movements that are going to benefit you the most and I can pull the strings a little bit and get a bit more performance out of you today. You know, I know what to say to you uh, and when to say it that's going to help you hold a plank for 30 seconds longer. Right. And and Um, so, all right, so just really briefly, because I think this is more of a technical question, but you've talked about 
you know, this process of, of, you know, giving instructions and then motivating and, you know, layering and things. And so, I'm, you know, that sounds like that's going to take three to five minutes per exercise. Is that about right? Yeah. If you're doing exercises that have big muscle groups like legs, then 100%, you know, stretch it out. Like legs are strong. You know, they need time to work on those. Um, and then even if you're doing like a superset for the legs, you know, stretch it out again. Like there's no rush. I don't find there's any rush. You should never rush. There's no, like, I'd, like if I was going to have a statement, it'd be like anti-rushing. Like there's, there's more benefit for doing something 30 seconds longer than 30 seconds less, you know, 100%. Because so, if someone really can't do it, they can have a break and keep on going. So, you know, just kind of doing some basic math in my head, if you're doing lunges on one side for five minutes and the other side for five minutes, that's 10 minutes plus whatever time it takes to swap over and set up and whatever. And so, you know, you're probably only getting through like five to eight exercises over over an hour, right? Does that sound about right? Yeah. Yep. Um, five to eight, maybe 10. Just like, And then you keep the exercise interesting by offering – the different movement patterns in the exercise, mm-hmm. like adding in different arm variations, different leg variations, might add in a rotation, might add in a, a heel lift, you know, like that kind of to keep them engaged psychologically. Every like maybe 40 seconds, 60 seconds, you can give them something that's going to make it a little bit harder, but it also requires a bit of a concentration right. so they can kind of refocus again. So it's so, like they're doing. So you're not literally doing the identical lunge for five minutes. You you might do a basic hip hinge for a minute, then you might, you know, add in a lunge, then you might add in more hip hinge, then you might stop at the bottom for a second, then you might add in a heel lift, then you might pulse the carriage. Like you just add in layers, right? Yeah. And um it doesn't have to be lots and lots and lots of layers. It can be like two, you know? Um and the first one you're spending with the educational, so you don't really add it. I don't really like to add in different movements when I'm trying to do more like the educational conversation. I just want them to kind of feel what they're feeling and then understand why, and then we might add in some more layers at the end. But So you'd, so you'd stretch out the, the most basic layer for longer if you're going to look at it in a total amount of time, and then you'd have the hard variations for less. Right. Um, so a couple yeah. of minutes for that first bit where you're more explaining why it's beneficial for them to do the exercise. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. And so that kind of gets to the motivation thing, because one thing you said that, that kind of uh, struck me earlier was that, you know, that 60% education, 20% technical instruction, 20% motivation, that's what you'd do for a beginner. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one of the things that we know um, from the literature on exercise adherence, you know, people sticking to exercise or not, is that um, often people at the beginning, they need more extrinsic motivation so they need you know encouragement they need celebration of wins they you know they mm. need to experience progress all of that whereas as people exercise longer and longer the motivation becomes more intrinsic like the the joy of doing the thing itself becomes enough motivation to do it like they actually look forward to the activity whereas at the beginning it's less about looking forward to the activity and more about you know seeking a particular result so mm-hmm. yeah, so how do you? I mean, do you? Is that does that uh, fit with your thinking with your method? How do you how do you teach beginners differently to how you teach um, an intermediate or advanced group? So intermediate and advanced, they've got uh, 
they've got more prior learning, so they've got uh, more understanding of what the movements are, how to do them. They've done them, um, so they've got endurance, they've got strength to perform them. So it doesn't require as much information for them to understand what it is. Like you can just say, let's go for lunch, and they can do it. You know, you don't have to explain what it is. So all of a sudden, that 60% of education now, you might be reduced down to like 20, and then you can fill the time up with more personalised engagement. Like you can you call people out by their name, encourage them directly. And I always think when the exercises are harder, they need more support and more motivation from you. So I kind of say then that I spend more time encouraging people when it's a harder class, like intermediate advance, um, because they already know what it is and know how to do it. And then I probably spend more time encouraging and then offering more progressions. So um, I'll make it harder and harder and harder, and I'll encourage them more and more and more. Like that goes, that's almost like that goes together. So like I definitely wouldn't invest less energy in them because I want them to to hold it. I want them to push it because they're still pushing their comfort zone, and that still requires a lot of effort. And it doesn't matter what their level is already because I'm trying to push them to a new one in the sense of help them get there. So I feel like because you know them more too, so you've already got a, a better relationship. You know their name. You probably know things about their life. Um, you've got more things you can talk about with them. They know other people in the room. So there's more of a community feeling. Um, they don't need a lot of motivation to come back because they feel connected to the space. You know, They feel like uh, they have an identity there, um, that people know who they are. So it's really about them still going through the practice of the exercises, but then getting personally challenged more. Like for someone, you know, like the the how it works when you first start out, any basic exercise, you're going to get some kind of result from that. And then the more you work out, the less results you get. Right. Um, so, so as a beginner, like basically going from doing nothing to doing anything, you're going to get you're going to get fitter. You're going to get stronger. Whereas as right. someone who's more experienced, you know, going from, you know, three intermediate classes a week to four intermediate classes a week might not make a big difference. So in that sense, um, you know, you've got the diminishing returns. So it's going to take you more effort to get results. So if it takes more effort, usually that I believe that takes more encouragement and more motivation. So they don't need as much motivation to turn up, but when they're in that space and you're asking them to do something they've never done before, they need support and they need motivation and they need encouragement. And encouragement, I think, is the absolute key, you know. The encouragement is something that only you can provide to them as a person. Um, In that moment you provide encouragement, you're basically affirming that they can do it and they trust you. So they listen to what you say and they do it and they try, you know. And encouragement is like, you know, if you look at the power of like playing sport, you know, home game versus away game, huge. All the differences, it's the same ground. It's just another ground. But when you've got people supporting you, the performance goes up. So in order to, like I believe, to get to a high level of performance, it's not just the physical side of it. Like it's also the, the, the encouragement you can get from the instructor. And if they love you, as in they trust you, you've helped them already grow and build strength, and that, that person who's done so much for you already is standing next to you or, or squatting next to you or kneeling next to you when you're holding a plank and say, you can do this, they're going to do it. They are going to do it. You know what I mean? They are going to 
because they don't want to let you down either. Uh-huh. And then that's that's the key because um, it's not that you give them less attention because they're stronger. It's they, they need you more, not necessarily in the sense of understanding what the movement is or how to do it. They just need you more for the purpose of pushing through the pain barrier they're experiencing right now, you know? Uh-huh. And I think the difference between like amateur athletes and elite athletes is their ability to tolerate pain, like physically and psychologically. And I remember reading some stuff on it that said that they took like amateur athletes and cycling and professional athletes and they did a completely different test, like holding your head under cold water. Mm-hmm. That was painful. And the, the, like the professional athletes did like five times better. Mm-hmm. because they're used to dealing with pain. They process it differently. Yep. So you're kind of encouraging people to get through their own internal pain barrier by motivating them in those moments. And that's when you get to start to see people doing crazy stuff, like really amazing duration, um, amazing like load. And But, yeah, it's a, it's a pro, it's progression. It doesn't happen overnight. It's just little incremental steps. And eventually you start to see people turn into absolute weapons, you know, it gets me so excited to see what people can do physically in the in the class. You know, people doing planks on like no springs and stuff, like shoulder extensions. It's like holy shit, you know what I mean? That is crazy. <laughs> plank a plank with no springs is way harder than a plank on the ground. Like when you're doing a plank on the ground, the, the ground isn't running away from you. You know what I mean? It's just like just different. And when I one thing I do that's big on the beginner classes actually. So I do a lot of education on the reformer itself and how it works. You know, like I tell them, you know, when you when you push the carriage out or when you stretch the springs more, it becomes heavier. You know, if you put your feet closer to the inside edges with heavy springs, like you're doing like a standing split, it's harder because you stretch your springs more. Like I tell them what it is about the reformer and the movement that makes it harder or easier, like the, the, the mechanical side, so that they can understand what the machine does, how it works. Um, and a lot of people, they really like that because then they can start to make their own decisions. Understand, yeah, they understand, oh, wow, well, I was using a blue spring for a plank. Now I'm using yellow. So that means that I'm actually stronger now yeah. because I'm holding it with more of my own strength rather than the support of the carriage tension. Um, and I'll, I'll explain like the carriage in itself. I say like, all right, guys, so I'm going to run through these. The carriage is kind of like a skateboard, you know. Um, it's got on rollers and it goes forward and back. And the, the carriage feels different depending on the tension of the springs. So there's a lot of tension. It's hard to push. But it's like light or no tension is going to slide away from you. Um, and just like basic analogies, a lot of them, like a lot, a lot, a lot of basic analogies. And you that's mean one like thing. The, I've, like the carriage is a skateboard. Yeah. 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 And then it changed. And then like, the, it's like you could say like it's a skateboard with springs attached to it in a uh-huh. way, you know, because it's going to move like a skateboard forward and back. But then, how it feels will depend on the, the spring tension. Uh-huh. Um, and just taking something they already understand and applying it to the machine. Um, and that way it's not so unfamiliar anymore. They can look at the machine and go, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. So there's this like, weird object that kind of looks like a bed with like straps and stuff. And now I understand that, oh, okay, so that's where the tension comes from and that's how you attach it and you can make it more or less tension and all we do is change your body position to focus on different muscle groups. So it's kind of like instead of going to the gym, you know, the gym you've got like pin-loaded machines and you've got like 30 machines that all isolate a different muscle group. Instead of that today, everyone, we've got one machine 
that's pretty much unlimited and it's like movement potential. And what we do is change your body position and the tension to focus on a different part. So it's like explaining it in the sense that you can relate it to a gym. So it's just another like bit of equipment, except instead of you changing machine, we just change your body position. Yeah, you know? it's truly a genius piece of equipment. It's amazing. Ah, yeah. It's just, I feel like it's, yeah, it's like a, the more you understand it, the better it gets, you know. Um, and I feel I'm excited now because I want to start creating my own educational content next year just on the basics of understanding what the reformer is and how to use it because I feel like people are going to get more out of it if they understand more. So that would be the key to them, for them to progress. So I'm going to pretty much put everything I say in classes, um, all the analogies, all this, the basic stuff into like some kind of view, video that people can watch, I think. Great. Well, let me know when that's available and I'll link to it in the show notes. Oh, wow. Thank you. Hey, um, so you mentioned a couple of things there. One thing that struck me is that, you know, when you have more sort of experienced clients, so in your intermediate class, say, you said, you know, they, they, you know, you know, things about their life, probably, um, you know, you know, their names, probably their dog's names, maybe their kids' names, whatever it might be. Um, and they know the names of other people and they know other people in the group and it's more of a community feel. So yep. how do you, how do you encourage, how do you foster that community? Like, I mean, obviously you can ask the client, Hey, what's your dog's name? But like, how do you, how do you encourage the, the clients to engage and connect with each other? So if you have a brand new client coming in the door for the first time and um, they're not there with anyone, I'll put them on a reformer next to someone that I know is a great person and introduce them. I'd be like, hey, this is um, this is Claudia. Uh, she's been coming for like a year or maybe I might find out that they might have a similar work environment, like they might be in the same industry or they maybe they play the same sport. Like I'm trying to get to know little things about people even when it's their first class and I'll just pair them up with someone that I know that they're going to interact with really well so they just don't feel like they're there by themselves anymore. So we've got the instructor who knows who they are and cares about them. And then they've got Claudia too. And everyone loves Claudia. And now I'm a friend with Claudia, so now I feel like I belong here now. And then, you know, because Claudia knows someone, she might introduce you to someone else. And all of a sudden, they walk out of that space thinking, wow, I came here by myself, but now I know like four people, you know. And that just takes the barrier to coming back down considerably because it's the social interaction, I believe, it's the ultimate motivating factor. Like, if you look at COVID, Everyone still had the ability to work out, but because it wasn't an event where you could see people that you like and hang out and um, it wasn't didn't have the same value, yeah. you know, you could do a class at home by yourself with a screen, but it's not as fun as hanging out with your friends and working out, you know. Mm. So that, like engaging people with, a, with someone else directly, like I never want people to feel like they're isolated because it can be that like that because if you look at the reformer room, You've got machines that are all separate. Everyone's got their own equipment. Um, and unless the, the instructor is promoting conversation or engagement, people will sit on that machine and be afraid to look to the left of them, afraid to look to the right. It's like when you go to the gym and you're standing in the room, no one really talks to anyone and no one really looks at anyone. And if you look at someone accidentally with eye contact, you just kind of just be like, oh, you know, sorry. Um, and that's the kind of feeling that people have I think when they come to the, the studio for the first time, because they don't know what environment it is going to be. So they, they kind of 
they don't really interact with people. They're kind of reserved. They might just be on their phone, actually, because that's like the safest space because you feel like you're, at least you're connected to something. Yeah. Um, you, you don't have to sit there and be lonely. So I try and get them off the phone and get them into conversations as quick as possible, really. Um, and that tends to take care of a lot of problems that you might have because people, they want to come back more. They feel connected. Um, they're excited about like the new potential that this could have for them because it's not just a workout anymore. It's actually like an event that they look forward to. Like I'll make time for this now because it's actually some of the best part of their day. It's not just a thing I, something I have to do. It's something I want to do. Um, and you know what it's like if you go and you live in a different city for a little while, it's not necessarily the city that's great. It's the people you meet. Yeah. Um, it's the connection you have with the people you meet. That is the special part about that place. So I feel then it's the same with the workout. It's not necessarily just the workout. It's the people that you know there. And that's what gives you the, the feeling of being attached to it. So I try and foster relationships early and I try to build them with like interacting with people and then bringing people together. Um, and yeah, you, you just do what you can, you know, because as an instructor, you're in the ultimate position because you know everyone. Like it couldn't be any easier. You know what I mean? You yeah. know everyone already. All you have to do is introduce them. Like you introduce, and you speak to everyone like they're your friend. That's what I do because I believe that that's the ultimate way. I don't want it to be too like too short or too professional. I'll speak to them like I speak to any of my friends. You know, I engage them in the exact same way. And I think the way you engage someone is the way they respond naturally. They will just yeah. they'll come back to you with what you give to them. So if you're speaking to them like you know them, and then you you you're basically saying, "Well, here's a friend of mine." It's no different to being at a barbecue, you know. Oh, you know, here's my friend Claudia. Here she is, you know, she's a legend. Um, and then they start talking. And then now that person is busy having fun talking to someone else. I might go talk to someone else who's not talking to someone. Mm. And there's still maybe like two or three minutes before the class starts. And I might have like squat down next to a former and have a chat to like Ben. I'll be like, how you going, Ben? How's your game on the weekend? Yeah, good. You won. Oh, that's awesome. Da, da, da. And then someone else might come in the door. I might say hello to them. And then you really want that the room to be kind of buzzing with conversation. And you almost want it to be loud. So you actually have to try and get the control back to start it. You really want that people just like, just talking, just connecting, just having fun. Um, and it's like, then you, I like pretty much have to shout over the room, like, all right, guys, let's go, you know, use these springs. This is what we're going to do. And everyone's like straight into it then. But you don't want the room to be flat. You want everyone to be connected and yeah, I just, I just get a lot of fulfillment out of seeing people enjoying themselves, you know? So, all right. So let's, let's sum up. You, 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 you start with a real you know, basic sequence of instructions, which is just like, okay, here's the exercise we're going to do. Here's the spring setting. Here's the props. Here's the body position. Okay, go. You choose a super easy variation, you know, based on your knowledge of the people in the room, whether it's a beginner's class or whatever, you choose something that's easy enough that you're very confident everyone in the room can do it for a few minutes. And then, uh, you educate them on the why, and you might educate them on the, on the reformer as you go, like, okay, we're doing this on a red spring today because blah, blah, blah. And as you get stronger, you might go down to a blue spring or whatever. Um, and uh, then you, you know, you might do that for a couple of minutes and, um, that, 
education might be also on technique. Like, okay, so if we lean more forward, you'll feel it more in your butt in this exercise or if blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then basically then you might add in one or two more layers towards the, you know, towards two or three minutes in that make it harder and you give people options. You say, okay, so this next layer is going to make it your, your glutes work harder. So if, if you're up for that today, then let's go. If you feel like you're doing at working at the right level for right now, just keep doing what you're doing. Um, and then, you know, you encourage effort, you know, um, in, and as it gets harder, you encourage more. Um, and, uh, and, and then, uh, so, you know, you might do each exercise for three to five minutes, um, and you're focusing on, you know, mostly bilateral exercises for major muscle groups, moving yeah. the spine in all directions, moving the legs, moving the arms. But, you know, you, there's nothing to say you can't do a few lunges which are unilateral. But basically for oh, beginners, yeah. it's, it's, it's a lot of bilateral stuff. It's a lot of simple, simple movements that pretty much anyone can get the hang of pretty quickly, you know, chest press, rows, squats, mm -hmm. et cetera. Yeah. Uh, and then in, in intermediate you know, open level classes, you might, you spend less time on, on explanations and education and, and more time on uh, more effort on motivation because you're pushing people, you know, beyond their, you know, uh, self-perceived limits still. Yes. Um, yep. And as people get more advanced, those limits of, you know, bigger and it actually they have to work even harder to make progress so you have you have to motivate them even more in the moment although yep. they develop an intrinsic motivation to come back to class because they just enjoy the activity and part of the part of that is the social network that you build within mm -hmm. the group by introducing people to each other like on day one it's like okay here's claudia she's also in the same industry as you or she started a year ago and whatever, you know, she's also got two kids or, or whatever it might be. Um, and, and you're interested in people and are, and finding out about how they did in their game on the weekend or, or whatnot. And you're really encouraging. It's like, you're like the hostess with the mostest at the start. You're, you're encouraging a, a real sort of fun, you know, rowdy, not even, not rowdy, but like you said, loud, I think was the word, um, engagement, you know, a vigorous social engagement beforehand so that you actually have to go like, okay, everyone, we're going to start, start the class <laughs> yeah. now. Um, because, because that's, that's a sign of a really healthy sort of social, you know, dynamic where people are really enjoying each other's company and just, you know, feeling a sense of being part of a group and being, you know, being, I guess, you know, welcome or, or, you know, a member of the group. And so, um, uh, and, you know, you reward based on effort, not based on, you know, skill per se. Mm -hmm. oh. um, and that really that the, that your role as a, as a, as a trainer is really to motivate people to, to get, you know, to take them beyond what they would, where they would go if you weren't there. Mm -hmm. Did we miss anything? Um, I think that's pretty much it. And there's like, there's other things you talk about there, but I believe that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So that's why you have to start with the engagement on, on a personal level with them, because you could be the best instructor in the world with like the biggest following and all the awards and 
But if you don't know who they are, then they're not that interested in knowing what you know. So like, I, that's why I really believe in getting to know people because they, when they trust you, then they'll listen to you and then the class flows easier because you don't have any resistance, you know, from people. People want to know what you've got to say. They're listening to what you've got to say. Um, you don't have to repeat yourself, you know. So it's like that level of rapport you hold with the clients affects the class atmosphere and how the class flows. And if you've got high rapport, it doesn't take a lot of effort to make things work well because people are like actively participating, you know. Um, and it's not really like a lecture. No one's forced to be there. Like everyone really wants to be there and excited about it. Um, and I've also the thing is another, just in the, the longevity and the personal professional development of instructors, I believe that being aware of the feedback loop within the class, like whenever you say anything or do anything, see what the response was and then always try and find a better way to do that. And when I say better, I mean more effective. That requires less effort to get the same or better result. That's like in every single aspect of the class. In the words you choose, like the words that you choose initially are going to be as effective as a butter knife. Like they're going to be a bit blunt maybe and not they're not going to have that kind of cut-through effect. But eventually it turns into like a scalpel. It's like minimal effort, very effective, you know, or maybe like a lightsaber. Just like just a real precision because you've got so many words you could choose from, but you're picking the ones you know are going to have the, like, the highest return on investment. It's like why would you say any words when you know that a couple of words will work better, mm. you know? So like you in, you become very intentional with every part of the workout then because you're always trying to find a better way to do it. And I'm not a very attached to the process because I believe that I want to be better this week than it was last week. I'm attached to the result. So I'm 100% attached to the result. If I can find a better way to get a result, I'm going to do it, you know? So that way I feel that as a trainer, I keep getting better just because I'm always evaluating the results. And I mean – with was my were my words today effective or not? Um, did they get a lot out of the movements? Are they getting stronger? Because I believe this industry is a performance-based industry and I don't think people really see it like that. I think people see it as like another job you can have. But I like to look at it like if you look at the amount of people that come into your classes, they are basically giving you all the feedback you need. Like if your classes are full, that means they're enjoying it and they're getting results. So performance in the sense that you're performing a service and they're getting results from your class and then performance and your classes are full so you're looking after the business owner um and if your classes aren't full there's only one person you can talk to and that's yourself there's no one else like i say to myself it doesn't matter where i am doesn't matter which state i'm in what time of the day which you know i can sell at my class that's just the personal belief i have and if i'm not doing it yet then i need to do something else to be more effective because as soon as you start having excuses or this or this or this, like all you're doing is like limiting your potential because I don't wish things to be easier. I just wish to have more skills, you know, like there's someone out there already doing it. So why would I say that I can't do it? And that's another thing I look at. Um, that's why I think different emotions are super valuable. Like even like even jealousy as an emotion, I think it's really valuable because all, all that is telling you is that someone else is doing something that you want, but for some reason you think you can't do it. So you can really kind of in, go inside and think, I can do that too. I don't need to feel this way and I need to upskill myself to do it. That's it. You know, it's like all of your emotions, they're all cues on like potential ways to develop yourself. And that's why I personally believe that 
intentionally putting yourself in environments that are more stressful than what you're used to as an instructor. Like go teach a class in a different state, teach a different studio, teach your peers. Every one of those experiences is harder than teaching your class. So when you come back to your class, it's not going to be the same level of effort anymore because your confidence and your competence has grown. It feels easier and it's more rewarding because when you, you know that feeling, Raph, when you've got something really, got something like you're really excited to share with someone, like, like a really good piece of information, like really good news. Yeah. That's the feeling you have after you've taught interstate and you've learned lots of cool shit and you come back and be like, fuck, I can't wait to teach this. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I can't wait to share this. I can't wait for people to experience it. So you have the anticipation of the event. Like, I can't wait to teach it. As you're teaching it, like, fuck, this is so cool. Look at it. And afterwards, everyone's like, oh, that was great. And then internally within yourself, you're like, man, that was fun. So like every part of the process is worth it. But you only get that if you can take the risk of failing. So my goal was to fail as much as I could, as quick as I could. I was like, I personally believe in something that um, Jordan Peterson talks about. Do you know Jordan? Yeah, not personally. He talks about... Oh, yeah. He talks about the hierarchy of competency based in social groups. So in any industry, in any organization, in any business, there's a hierarchy of competency where people that are the most skilled are the most valuable and they tend to sit in the top of the social network. So if you're going to do anything, you should invest a lot of time and energy in yourself because the experience you have, <clears throat> if you're sitting in a, in a higher level of that group, is way different to that at the bottom. You're going to get all the opportunities coming to you. You don't really have to chase them. <clears throat> and the only person that can put yourself there is yourself because you have to put in the work <clears throat> to get the skill set to grow like that. You said you, you know, you're really confident that you can fill your class, you know, regardless of the day, the time, the state, you know, whatever it might be. Is there something additional you do to fill your classes beyond what we've already talked about? Or is it, is it just what we said, you know, like what, what you, what happens in the room is what you do? Um, I put a lot of time into <clears throat> social media as in promoting. I want people to feel like they're coming to an event. Like I want people to feel like, you know, um, when like a, an artist, like I don't know, Tiesto, comes to play at a location like in Australia and there's usually like posters up like months in advance. Mm -hmm. And when you think about it, it's really crazy because here's a human being that's probably only going to be in that location for like two hours. Uh -huh. Yet people are aware of it months in advance because it's that important. And I thought I want people to feel like that when they come to my class, that, that it's always so waitlisted that they have to get in early and there's a lot of engagement, there's a lot of attention, there's a lot of um, results that I want to be able to hype it up um, and I want people to feel really excited about being there. So I would have put in more effort to promote it the way that people promote music festivals or things like that. So I'm going to create more social media content, maybe some different movement inspiration, maybe just conversations about what we're doing while we're doing it. Like, like, and one thing I really believe in is if you learn anything from anyone, always acknowledge that and always give them credit for it because that's the, like the kind of positive abundance, powerful mentality that it just sets wheels in motion that you can't necessarily see. When you build up so much good rapport with so many people, things tend to happen in good ways for you. Um, and I, I know that a lot of people, when they learn a new exercise, 
they try and maybe not consciously, but on some level they try and claim it as their own. They're like, oh, yeah, this is my idea. You know, mm-hmm. I made this video. This is this is me. But when you do that, all you're doing is limiting your potential relationships with more people in the future because I know what that feels like um, when someone comes to you and learns something from you and then just kind of replicates it and gets the kind of the social reward without even acknowledging you at all. Mm-hmm. It really it's kind of like a negative association. It really doesn't feel very good. It's like, yeah. wow, I put up this effort to help you grow, but you don't appreciate me in that. You just want to kind of claim it. So all that does, if you were to look at two different paths, one where you, you're positive, you're acknowledging people, um, you believe in abundance and you're really out there and sharing, the trajectory that'll take you on compared to taking people's ideas, claiming they're your own, like you're putting yourself into a smaller box if you go down the road because yeah. there's more people that are less interested in getting to know you now. And the other way, there's all these other positive benefits that you wouldn't expect. Like when you do con- like mention someone in your story and thank them for their effort, they're probably going to share that. Yeah, 100%. And then all of a sudden all their friends see you too. So like I just think it's so beautiful how having a good intention of acknowledging people when they teach you something actually has a positive result too. So I really believe in that. I think people should do that more. And uh, it doesn't matter who you learn it from. But And realistically, they probably learned it from, from someone else too. Sure. But that doesn't mean that it's any less valuable um, and that because you learned it from them, you should still acknowledge them. There's one more thing I'd like to talk about, Raf, is um, it's just a difference in how you show up in the world because one, if I was going to break it into two categories, I'd classify one as a functional person and one as a, a vital person. I believe that uh, like a functional person is basically doing a task um, that is given to them and their only priority is just to fulfill the task, whereas a vital person is more interested in the results and is more interested in um, progression. So you can see that by how people work when they go to work. You know, it's like usually the key people of influence in any industry are not the ones that just simply fulfill their role uh, air quotes, you know, it's more someone who innovates, someone has their own ideas that shares a lot. I feel like those people are the ones that people are interested in getting to know. So I feel that in if you want to progress in the health and fitness industry, you have to have some level of visibility and people have to know who you are. So the best way to do that is to share more and to try and progress with your own personal growth as a priority. Like if you're the same teacher as you were last week, like that's not a good sign. You like I wanna I think everyone should be even if some of the experiences you had weren't great, they're probably even better because you learn faster with those. Mm. So like you always want to be showing up a different version of yourself. You're always a little bit better than you were last week. And you wanna be someone who's like vital because a vital person can't be replaced. A vital person is someone that people miss, you know, because uh, a functional person is someone that you can replace for a cheaper price because they're only fulfilling a task. A vital person has a different energy. You know, they get energized for what they're doing. So if you want to look at how you're showing up in the world, not you individually, because you're obviously a vital person, Raph. Like you can say that easily because um, you're irreplaceable in that sense because you're bringing value, you know. Um, so everyone out there, look at how you're showing up in the world. And if you're not showing up in the world as a vital person in your industry now, choose a different one, you know, because people that get tired from their work it's obviously not engaging enough that you love it enough. Like you, 
you want to be a tired. If you're tired, you want to be happy tired. You want to be like invigorated by what you do. Mm. And the world will be so much better if people were actually really engaged with what they're doing and weren't so disconnected. Like one thing I think is I don't really want to work for money. Like I want to work for fulfillment. So I think money is a byproduct of value. So if you make yourself valuable, money will just come anyway. So the process then is not focusing on making money. It's focusing on doing what you love, getting really good at it and, and then seeing what happens. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I love that uh, notion. I haven't heard that before of uh, functional versus vital, but I would, it's, you know, similar to the way I would think about, um, say, a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. Um, you know, really looking for where the growth mindset really is always looking to improve and grow and, you know, push the comfort zone and, um, you know, deliver more value to yourself and, and to others and to the world. Mm. And, yeah, what could be better, you know? Like if we only have so much time, we don't know how long we're going to be here. If you can provide value, that's amazing, you know, and that's going to leave like a lasting um, imprint on the world, like you actually contributed something rather than just punching um, your time in somewhere and leaving. And anyone could do that, you know, show up and do something that is like remarkable in some way and and has value and people appreciate it. Um, And, yeah, that's why I believe in, Journey getting as many life experiences as you can and just trying to figure out which of those is the thing that, that lights you up the most. And only spend your time doing things you like, you know? Seriously, there's no there's no working hard these days, there's no more, it's no advantage in that because everyone works hard. Like you need to do something that's more than that, something you actually really love, because passionate people, I think, they just do it better. So Yeah. Um Well when you're passionate a- when you're passionate, you you do the activity for the intrinsic joy of doing it and mm. you're always trying to, you know, do it better because you just like doing it better is intrinsically rewarding when you're passionate mm. about something. And so you like, you basically can't help but get better at doing it. Mm. Hey, that stuff gets me excited, hey? <laughs> <laughs> like I just want to hit the table right now. Like, yes. <laughs> like, honestly, that it fires me up because it's just like – you just never know what you could achieve, you know, because it's like you're, you're on an interesting path now and there's a lot of ways up a mountain, you know what I mean? Um, so you may as well start taking the high road and go for something that you really love because it's, you're only wasting your time and everyone else's if you're going to hang out doing things that aren't that interesting to you, you know. You can make money doing everything now. With the internet, there's not one thing you couldn't find a way to become good at and it's just all these different people out there are starting to connect like they used to be like isolated individually, like if you had a certain passion. Yeah. But now how it is, it's like it's the person who's the most passionate about anything is within a social structure and that person's highly valued and people yeah. want to like learn from them. It could be anything, like anything, like, like random car collections. It could be like random chess pieces. It could be like how you like make an instrument there's always going to be like maybe like it's like free diving there's always going to be like someone out there who's a complete master of it and that entire network is connected online now and then they're going to be hanging out together so that i think it's it's more than just for me what pilates did for me was it enabled me to find something that i love this much and i'm just excited to see what happens and i believe in like being present in the moment and that's the key, like the key to having good classes is to be aware of your surroundings and stepping out of your own mind and just being there. Like 
that I think that's the ultimate. So I love, yeah, I really appreciate the time that we've had to chat today, Raf. It's the third time we've got to speak now. Um, and we might meet in person now. We can actually see. I'd love to hang out with you. Um, yeah, likewise. I'm definitely going to come do one of your classes one of these days. Oh, that'd be great. You're in Melbourne at the moment, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, pretty busy schedule. I'm teaching about 40 classes a week right now, so I can definitely fit you in. Just let me know when you want to come. Holy fucking shit, 40 classes a week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd just at the moment because there's a little bit of a shortage of trainers after COVID. Um, yeah, isn't, and- it, isn't it funny? What a great opportunity we have. We all have as trainers right now. You can you can work anytime anywhere right now, honestly. And the people are so motivated to try and find staff um, that they're looking outside the square right now, you know, not necessarily have all the qualifications, but have like good ability. Maybe they're a teacher of like some like swimming or, you know, maybe they did something else that would, that the skill set would relate. So like the opportunity is like huge. Um, and if you get in now, I believe then you're going to have, because you, you're helping people out, people remember that. Yeah. So, um, but all the trainers out there, everyone's working hard. You know, this is not, me, this is not a me thing. There's a lot of trainers out there working way more hours than they normally would. Um, and I'm, I think everyone's really grateful for that. But I think by the time we get to the first quarter of next year, things will probably calm down again. Um, but we'll just get it done. Yeah. Been awesome talking with you, Nathan. I look forward to our yeah. next conversation. Thanks, mate. I appreciate it too. Um, and yeah, keep on releasing amazing content, mate. Um, you provide so much value to people. And it's obvious if I could, maybe I'll start doing it, documenting all the conversations I have in transit with people about your podcast. It's just so many, man. And it's just all these Pilates instructors everywhere, you know. So you're doing such a great service to people and you're bringing everyone forward. And I love how you take things on with a scientific approach because I believe, like, that's the most effective way to do it. And, like, I think we're both on the same path there as in we're very happy to leave the processes of the past for new information is going to work better. So it's exciting. So thank you for that. Fuck yeah. We're, that's exactly the path that we're on. So thank you. And this conversation uh, and the other conversations you and I have had are part of that uh, legacy that we're creating of, um, you know, expanding the industry and lifting every everyone up. Yep. Um, you know, and we all, we all, you know, we all lift each other up. So um, that's right. thank you for your, for your contribution. Thank you. Good talk. Definitely. I'll see you soon, mate. After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means 
you keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in uh, link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.